Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Matt, and welcome to Pod Wraiths, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're two friends watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine and sharing both our deep and irreverent thoughts on our favorite Star Trek series. This week, we're talking about Season 2, Episode 1, The Homecoming. Teleplay by Ira Stephen Bear and directed by Win- Winrich Colby. This episode aired on September 23rd, 1993. This week on Deep Space Nine, Kira rescues a Bajoran resistance hero from a Cardassian labor camp. An extremist group calls for all non-Bajorans to leave Bajor. We got some space racism, baby. Season two and space <laughs> racism is in vogue. Ultra nationalism. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> <laughs> why are there pew pew pews i'm like trying to visualize this i guess there uh, were it's like the pews. horns you know it's just i don't know <laughs> apologies to our listeners it's it's been a minute since we recorded and i have lots of like bent up energy and also i've been i'm on my second cup of coffee this morning as we as we record so i apologize for for blowing out your speakers or your headphones. um i'm having a beer so whatevs I guess it's one of those uh, clock lands thing, right? Where it's like, as we record this, it's still the morning and it's, you know, five o'clock somewhere, right? So I don't, so real quick, I don't believe in the whole it's five o'clock somewhere thing. I have very strong opinions about this. Like, who cares? As long as it's not affecting your, like, job or your life or whatever, like, just drink when you want to. Um, Unless you're an alcoholic. And then you should probably not do that. But I feel like now I feel like this whole section needs to just be cut out because I said that. But anyway, I just (laughs) feel very strongly about, you know what? You just do you. Doesn't matter what time it is. That being said, it is afternoon, so it's fine. That was literally all I meant by that. How did you feel about this episode? Yeah, I obviously it's uh, not a contained story. Um, not to get a little too meta, and we're gonna avoid spoilers for the the future parts in the episode of the kind of tr- trilogy, if you will. Especially um, since I don't remember what happens. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Um, but yeah, there's it was kind of like a three part arc that kicked off season two of deep space nine um and this is obviously being the the first part so we'll have have two more two more episodes after that because that counts up to three and it's kind of interesting (laughs) the kind of the genesis of these episodes right one one episode two 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 episodes episodes. (laughs) sorry please please by all means um at the end of season one michael pillar who's the the co-creator and was the the showrunner still at the time of deep space nine decided to ask the writing staff to concentrate on shows that were more unique for season two shows that had links to the universe of, of Star Trek and specifically the next generation, the show that it was was spun off of, but shows that were unique to the world of, of Deep Space Nine and couldn't just take place on TNG, which I think was a really smart choice because you'll recall as we watched and worked our way through season one, there are a lot of episodes that we kind of like, eh, this is fine, but it could have been TNG or it could have been Voyager. Like it just... 
it didn't jive with some of the stronger episodes that I think were really unique to the world of Deep Space Nine and those characters and, you know, that the sociopolitical um, climate of the show. So the writers chose to do shows that couldn't be done in, on Next Generation and were unique to, as I said, the world of, of Deep Space Nine. What's interesting is this three-episode arc um, and the reason that Jerry Taylor, who is one of the co-creators of Star Trek Voyager and one of the executive producers on the later seasons of TNG, has a co-story by credit um, on this episode was because Taylor had an original idea that focused on... a. Uh, on some Bajoran characters that were picked up by the Enterprise D. They took that kernel, that kernel and then brought it over to Deep Space Nine. And then Ira, uh, Ira Stephen Bear, um, kind of remixed it. He's a big fan of the 1962 John Ford film, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, which we will definitely talk about later. There's a certain season six episode that's also heavily inspired by by this episode uh, or by that John Ford movie. I kind of I haven't it, seen it, so I'll have to watch it before then. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, it's just something very unique to, to Deep Space Nine and the whole idea and the concept of that's in the, the Man Who Shot Liberty Valance is the idea of a legend and how that can be more important than the facts upon which the legend or the myth-making are based. And we definitely see a lot of that over the course of the episode as we rescue and find out more about Lee Nollis the legend and Lee Nollis the man. Hmm. Yes. Um, I was really... I do like that idea, and we'll get into it more, about, like, the man versus the myth. Like, I just... It's great. Um, I actually vaguely remembered this episode, which is kind of funny because I don't remember what happens next, but a lot of times when I'm watching Deep Space Nine, the second, you know, the, because this is my second watch, I, like, remember it as it starts. I'm like, oh, yeah, I vaguely remember this, but, um, I do remember that they went and, like, rescued some people. That was the extent of it. Um, I love a season premiere because I feel like <laughs> characters get like revamped haircuts and they like their looks get fleshed out a little bit more. So this episode had Miles and Kira in it. Like probably they were in it like a little bit more than some of the other characters. And I very right. much enjoyed both of their new haircuts. Like Miles had like it was a little poofy on top but it came in real close around his ears and it just looked really good and Kira's hair looked amazing and I think that's it might be my favorite Kira hair I feel like it was just really efficient but stylish right. which I feel right. like is Kira yeah feel like uh, Odo's hair had a little bit more volume to it. A little, like... <laughs> like, it was still, you know, the comb right. back or whatever, but it, it seemed to have a little bit more volume to it than... I didn't really look head. at his hair so much. I was no. too... No, fair I was mostly... I feel like Miles was the one that was, like, the most different, maybe. That's fair. Um... It was really fun for me to see Miles and Kira working together in this episode um, when they're trying to fool those Cardassian guards. They're really both like yeah. kind of funny at playing dumb a little bit. Like they're they're both characters that are like 
kind of quick on their feet when they need to get out of a jam. And um, it was... I liked that when Kira was explaining the mission to him, like, after um, Cisco told her that Miles had to go with her. Yeah. Um, she, she was like, either we come back with Lee Nollis or we don't come back at all. And Miles just is like, okay, understood. Like, I couldn't tell if she thought he was going to, like, argue with her. And he was just like, nope, we, I get it. And I kind of, I kind of liked that they were on the same page. Totally. And like, I, I took it as like Kira confirming with Miles that Miles was aware of the stakes of this mission and that like there wouldn't be any kind of potential Starfleet or Federation loopholes or negotiations or shenanigans um, that Kira wasn't, you know, in the mood for and whatever, especially the context of Cisco ordering or, or forcing or like putting the conditions on on miles going um so yeah no i think that was that was good there and i think it's always yeah. interesting when the show pairs kira and miles together because it's that that like we're bonded over our war against the cardassians related trauma squad oh right? for sure um, yeah like you know in terms <laughs> of that's even why Miles, like the reason Miles justifies for going on this mission is he knows what Cardassian labor camps are like, and you know oh, having totally, fought yeah. in the the border wars pre TNG with the Federation and things like that. Um, so yeah, it's always always interesting when they get put together. It's often for anti Cardassian reasons. Yeah, it's funny. I I was thinking about this because um, the last you have a few podcast. Weeks- <laughs> Sorry. Because of the you're fine. Because <laughs> I have a brain. Um I've been thinking Come about this for the last the hours. Confirmed. Sorry, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> I've been thinking about this for the last like few weeks because as some people might be aware, the second season of Lower Decks is airing right now. And one of the things that I like about this season of Lower Decks is that they're kind of playing with the pairings in the episodes amongst the first like the main four cast members and I like that Deep Space Nine does that too where they like switch up who who's working with who in in the different episodes and you get to see um characters come to understand each other more and it makes it more interesting having all these characters that you can kind of pair up for different missions rather than always seeing like the same two people doing things all the time and it, right. it gives a lot more opportunity to have more stories and it's i just really like it yeah whereas um, like on yeah. next gen you'd always see like if it's like a data story chances are like jordy's always going to be involved right. mm-hmm. or like yeah yeah or if riker's on an away mission usually picard's not there you know like there's people yeah. that are often like in different roles within the episode um i was really excited to see new jersey's own frank langella in this episode <laughs> and i felt like he made an attractive bajoran as Minister Jaro, but I also looked at him and I was like, I don't know if I trust you, and I don't remember. Well, by the end of the episode, I definitely didn't trust him because of what he said, and we'll get to that. But um, I just from his first, usually 
when you have a character where you know the actor, I just feel like for the most part, there's some something shady going on. Like, they'll bring in, like, a known actor to, like, stir things up. And I don't mean that of Star Trek. I mean that of, like, every show. Like, whenever I watched uh, Murder, She Wrote, or even Midsummer Murders, like, whenever there was an actor that I knew, the actor, I was like, oh, that, that's probably the guilty person. Yeah. So. Well, it's, it's like that, uh... It's like that kind of the bit or the discussion in um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood when Al Pacino's producer character is talking to Leonardo DiCaprio's um, semi-washed-up actor character about how he's getting all these pilots as, as you know, the bad guy because he used to be the good guy on his own show and now there's all these new shows coming out with the new younger good guys who get to yeah. defeat, defeat the... Uh, um, the oh, yeah. played by Leo DiCaprio, and that like establishes them as like, hey, they actually beat up the old yesterday's star, you know, because he's bad now. Yeah, so the new star's better than him. So it's like there's a little bit of that like truth in that. Oh, right? totally. So. I re- I I had forgotten about that conversation, but now as you were saying this, I rem- I remembered, and yeah, it does feel like that. That's interesting. Yeah, and L- and just got this voice that like is this great deep booming voice that it, it's yeah he's good it's, his, his, it's like, nice <laughs> yeah like and his whole career arc is is interesting and i mean we're, we're not a frank langella filmography podcast so you don't have to like get into it but like there's something where like he's incredibly talented and probably if he had a different reputation in the industry, like maybe his career arc would have looked a little bit differently um, and different things like that. And so it's, it is kind of in one level strange to see him on Star Trek. Um, but then again, we do have Tony from West Side Story and Richard Baymar playing Lean Alice. So maybe this is like this three part arc is like uh, our DS9 movie. Um, I, I've only seen West Side Story once, so I did not recognize him from to- being Tony. Um, I didn't even know that until I was reading until you just said it right now. <laughs> that's kind of interesting yeah and i guess just one other point more on like langella what's really interesting is like um he isn't credited in the episode and he was remain he is uncredited at his own request because he did the show for his children not for exposure or money which i thought was interesting so they got frank langella because he was doing it wanted i guess kids wanted him in star trek or he wanted I to do something. I kind of could love see. that. Yeah, I love so. that. But also, I'm like, like, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a little cynical, and I'm like, did he? Is it for the kids, or was he like, eh? I don't want that on my on my records. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just I like, mean, it's yeah. I had that thought too. <laughs> and like again, I don't want to like besmirch the name of New Jersey's own Frank Langella. But, uh, <laughs> there's uh, there I mean, are layers. He's not there from my hometown and... or anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, there are there are layers and, and elements in terms of I think why his career kind of went went the way it did, rightly rightly or wrongly, and just I think I think he's an, a capital A actor, and I think that my senses rub some some folks the the wrong way. I think he has a reputation for being or had a reputation. I don't know if it's fair or unfair of being kind of 
more difficult to work with. Mm. Um, and I think that kind of limited some of his his options and, and offers and stuff. But I don't know. As we enter spooky season, maybe I should watch the the 70s um, Universal, like the remake of Dracula, because Franklin Jello plays sexy Dracula in that movie. So I've never seen that. Maybe I will I also either. watch that. Check it out. Um, um, I just unrelated to him being from New Jersey. I really like him as an actor. I know nothing about him personally, but I get yeah. very excited when I see him in things. And he's so good in the Americans. He's like so Yes. Ah, oh, I um, loved him in that. Yeah. I mean, I love everything about the Americans. Um, well, except for one thing, but anyway. That's for another podcast, another The Kimmy stuff. Yeah, yeah. You knew. Yeah. It's not my fave. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Sorry, anyway. I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing because just like anytime we, like I talk about the Americans, and it's like I I have to bring that up because it just it impacted me so much. No, I and, like was, I didn't I actually, like, but it just yeah. takes the air out of any conversation I'm having. No, like, I even, really had to, yeah, I had to like pause it a little bit. Like yeah, it was so just, it was hard to watch that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was a really good show. I, um, recommend it. So I also really enjoyed Kira's acting in this episode. Um, and I liked the plot also. Um, for some reason though, someone, I think, um, what's his name? Lee Nollis says the word underwear like two or three times. And for some reason, someone's saying the word underwear in a Star Trek had me hysterically laughing. I feel like whenever there's something, like, normal in a science fiction, I, like, get very... I laugh a lot. Like, I was reading a Star Wars novel, and they were talking about a school or something, and I was like, what? Star Wars has schools? Like, obviously they do, but, like, I don't remember ever... That was never presented to us in any of the movies. So (laughs) it just is so funny for them to have, like, something normal, like a school... Um, but yeah. And I was, so this, uh, I just wanted to point out that this is our first to be continued episode. And as I said earlier, I really don't remember what happens next. So I'm looking forward to that. All right. Did we want to get into the, the plot a bit more and, and why underwear uh, was (laughs) central to this episode? Sure. Um, before we get into, like, the main plot, do you want to discuss that group called The Circle, which sounds like we should be watching a documentary about these people and how they're a cult or something? What was that uh, movie that I haven't seen from a couple of years ago? The Circle, is that, like, where it's, like, the evil Google? I mean, Google is evil, but, like, I mean, please don't take away our Google Drive. Uh, <laughs> it's what we use for the podcast notes. Um, but, like, it had Tom Hanks and Emma Watson, and it was, like, Google, but it was, like, The Circle. Is that a circle? I don't know. I don't even, I think, feel like that's not something that I'm aware exists. Okay. So I don't know. But we'll pop, I felt... pop that out again. <laughs> Sorry, Matt. No, whatevs. Um, so you say that, opinion, but you don't have to edit it. Just, no, I meant like, ahead. just keep it in. It's fine. Um, so the TLDR on the circle, in my opinion, is like, it's the Bajoran version of America first. 
So thinking all other species should be expelled from the planet, that's some real Nazi shit. So we can just say that the circle is Bajoran, like, storming the capital type people. Yeah, it, it's... It, it's very much kind of a ethno-nationalist perspective. And I found it really reminiscent of um, past prologue from early season one with, with Tana Loss and his his version of oh, the, yeah. his flavor of Bajoran resistance because we talked about the different groups within the resistance and how they weren't like, they were allied in their goals to, you know, free Bajor from the Cardassians, but then there are like are different flavors of, of radical revolutionaries, right? I and wonder te- I wonder if like the Cone Ma like turned into the circle or something. Or were absorbed by it. Or... Yeah, like I feel like they would be related. Yeah. Totally. And like I think to doesn't like is it Kira or Oda someone like implies that like too like they're suspected that a lots of some of the the ministers in the provisional government, you know, would publicly condemn the circle, but privately support oh, yeah. it. So, like, if that's which is not... yeah, yeah, yep, yeah, for sure. Um, and then there'll be ones that are openly like openingly support it, like uh, what's his face? I forget. The... I I already forget the name of that one guy who like basically was like promoting the storming of the capital that was like a congressman anyway um i really was laughing hysterically that that the two thing the two instances of vandalism um that they showed us in this episode was the graffiti on the station wall which looked kind of like an okay sign or something which (laughs) if you think about that isn't that also like some nazi fucking symbol that people do with their hands like there's some weird thing i forget like american nazis i feel like there's like some like hand symbol that they do that's like similar to that i forget what it's called and um, the other thing that was hysterical to me was that the second thing they showed us is Quark getting attacked and branded. <laughs> like, of course, like, Quark would be the person that gets, like, a symbol on their head. And I had literally just watched, um, I'm in the beginning of season five, well, actually probably mid-season five of Game of Thrones in my rewatch, so I just watched, um... That one, uh, the one Lannister cousin, I forget his name, get the, like... Lancel? High s- Lancel get his, like, hot sparrow, uh, forehead. The pointed star? Yeah, so it was very... stuff, yeah. Yeah, they, um, Cersei basically just, um, empowered the Faith Militant, and so that felt very topical and related to this. Um, but I'm very glad that... Julian was able to fix Quark's beautiful forehead. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, like... So this was, like, kind of a couple things that I didn't, like, either work for me or make super sense to me in this episode. Where it's, like, okay, I get the graffiti, you know, in terms of of, (laughs) of that. 
I and like Odo's like, well, this is a low security area, and then Sisto's like, well, now there's no such thing. You know, we need high security. Blah blah blah. I'm like, is that like, like the circle is bad. Full stop. Right? Like we do not like the circle. Right. Very very bad. No thank you. Um, these three series of episodes are called the Circle Trilogy. So like extrapolate that like what you will right like they get their setup that they're they're the villains for for this arc i agree but it's like it's a little graffiti like yeah (laughs) justifying like basically an increased like police presence all over the station like is it basically like you know in within the context of of canada they're like like invoking the war measures act so like there are soldiers with guns on every corner of the streets like i it's just like really like no i get you i felt like that was a little early for that like i'm not saying that i think a police president presidents of a police presence of that size is warranted but i also feel like to have that, like, even before Quark is attacked, it just seems, like, really extra. Like, if you, yeah. if someone was physically attacked and then they were like, okay, we need more police or more security, like, I would not necessarily agree with that, but I would at least understand their logic more than having it just from the little bit of graffiti. So I guess yeah. I'm saying I agree with you. Yeah, and like I get like functionally it establishes like oh the circle that just was introduced is serious business. <laughs> so like like I I get it I get it right. Um, but what I also don't understand about the circle is it's like what within their movement is the advantage to assaulting and branding Quark. <laughs> <laughs> who like ostensibly... that's why i was laughing so much because it was like so fucking random like it made no like what it was very like silly like w- obviously there was a level of planning it wasn't like because to- they had to break in and they had the brands and they had the masks and like you know the creepy hoods and everything else so yeah. it wasn't like a crime of opportunity but like, well, okay, let me back it up. I'm talking myself into this just because like Quark doesn't seem like a very high like profile like political target for your hyper nationalist movement. But if you are an ethno nationalist, which they are, he's non Bajoran, so right. it's like a hate crime that way, I guess. So okay, so I've talked yeah. myself into it. But the third thing that bugged me about that <laughs> was like, and like maybe we can use this to to pivot into the main storyline and some more of the Lee mm-hmm. Nollis stuff is why the fuck was Lee Nollis there? Like after when they're doing the investigation, cause here's this guy who like, you know, just got rescued from the prison camp. Wants a moment of privacy has no, I get that he's a folk hero, you know, and like a, considered yeah. to be like a resistance hero, but he has no standing right now within the, like in the episode within the like hierarchy or structure of, of DS nine. So like, Oh, Hey, our, our uh, Ferengi bartender was just assaulted. Hey, Lee, are you busy? You want to come check it out? Like, <laughs> again, it's there. I, I get where it's there functionally for him to be there for, like, his arc and where I remember it going and yeah. things like that. But it's just like, what's his reason for being there? Anyways, I feel whatever. like that happens a lot in Star Trek where, like, people are investigating something and, like, whoever was, like, with you when you found out about it just, like, went and investigated it with you. And Yeah, I guess. It's, I like... Guess. I don't, I'm not saying, like, it's not a valid concern, but I just feel like it 
there's no rhyme or reason. Yeah, it's it's hundred percent one of yeah. those things where like I am thinking too much about it, um, <laughs> and then I'm like, this isn't good for me, so that's why I go that eh, it doesn't matter, it's TV or whatever. It's like right. it's not me. I'm trying to invalidate, you know, any listeners who yeah. who get caught in some of this minutia and enjoy discussing it. It's more yeah. of like a self regulation thing. But I'm just right, like, I got you. I don't get this. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a question for the audience. If we have any lawyers out there. Do you think Quark would have a leg to stand on by suing the Bajoran provisional go- government for this incident? Like, do you please write and tell us? I guess based on like U.S. law, how that would work. Like, I don't, I, I don't. I mean, I know it was just a throwaway line, but I can't imagine that Quark has like, <laughs> you know, means for a lawsuit. I was really upset that Jake's date got canceled because of space racism. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah. Although before that happened, I did enjoy the father and sonning about the date. Um, yeah. <laughs> where it ends where Jake's just like, you're just not ready for this yet, Dad, and walks away. That, that I thought was a fun fun exchange. Yeah, fun no, I like that too. It ended up in a not great spot. Sorry, sorry, Jake. Yeah. Sorry for space racism. Yeah, it was sad. Do you want to move on to the main the main arc? Sure. So the episode opens in Quarks and one of Quark's uh, business associate traders is, is on a quick stopover and there's a kind of fun and flirty exchange between Quark and the uh the traitor. I can't remember what what species she is. Um, yeah, I don't but she had, but uh, she has a she has a Bajoran earring that's been smuggled off a, a labor camp on, I believe, Cardassia Four, and says, "Give this to someone who knows knows something later." Bye. And it turns out it's the previously mentioned Lean Alice, who is a resistance war hero who was thought to be to be long dead. And it's his earring. Yes. And now we have proof of life. Yeah. So Quirk obviously um, shows it to his favorite Bajoran, uh, Kira, or favorite Bajoran to banter with back and forth. Um, and she's like, immediately like, I have to go investigate this. I was really happy that Kira kind of talked to Cisco about this because I feel like if this was a year ago, she would have just like done it without asking. I don't know if you agree with me on that. I feel like she would have done it and then asked for forgiveness later. Rather yeah, than no, saying, that's... hey, can I get a runabout to deal, to deal with this issue? Yeah, no, I, I think that's a that's a good point. That's a that's a good that's a good uh read and a good pickup where it's like her impulse is to drop everything and go and she knows and she believes in the um rightness of that step, but she's 
she's not being very chill about waiting but she is still asking and she is still waiting and like you know asking cisco as a friend and yeah she's told everyone about it and i did like that uh scene with with jadzia and um and cisco about whether to give Kira the run about or not and she knows and then it's just like he's like does everybody just did Kira tell everybody about this like that's 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 fun yeah I really liked um, Dax's point to Cisco also because obviously Cisco is worried about you know a p- interplanetary incident where he doesn't want the Federation and Bajor and Cardassia to be at war because of whatever happens and I just like that Dax is like Cardassia should be worried about us finding out that they're doing this rather than the other way around like I just felt yeah. like that was such a good point like. She was just like, no, Cardassia's. If this is what's going on, Cardassia is in the wrong, not us, for like trying to rescue people that were supposed to have been already re- let, like released. Yeah, yeah. So totally. I, I liked that. Um, it's interesting because, like, I, I mean, I don't know how big like most of the labor camps are, but when they get to Cardassia Four, there's like a dozen prisoners. And I don't, that seems to be more than Kira and Miles were expecting, but it was less people than I would have expected to be there. Yeah. And they didn't get everyone because they like, you know, they had to leave without everyone else like making it to the runabouts. And then there's the point later where um, Dukat at all has that Mia Culpa where like, oh yes, they're being returned. Sorry about that. We didn't know we still had prisoners. It's like, yeah, bullshit. Like, come on, bud. I'm I'm making a a masturbation um gesture with my hands right now. <laughs> like, fuck off, dude. Um. Anyway, yeah, that that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I mean, I legitimately was doing that. Um, but I, it was going very slowly. This is great as podcasting. Let me, let me describe me making a jerk off motion to the microphone. The best part is that I like was trying to come up with the word gesture and I didn't know how I was going to phrase it. So it, the gesture was like going slower and slower as I was trying, my brain was like working to come up with the right word. (laughs) So anyway, (laughs) uh, so I was very eye squinty and like, yeah, sure, bud, to Gold Ducat in that scene is what I'm trying to say here. Yeah. Um, I I did kind of laugh that Lee Nullis had no idea that what like he just thought he lost his earring. <laughs> like, did someone take it off of him while he was sleeping? Like, what happened? I want to see the mission where these guys were like, we have to get rescued. Let's steal Lee Nollis's earring and smuggle it off this planet and see if someone comes to find us. That is bonkers, but I like that it works. It felt very, like, I don't know, like Lord of the Rings when they take the little leaves off of the, um, when Marion, uh, was it Mary, I think? He took the leaf off of his, like, cape and threw it on the ground and that's how Aragorn, like, found them. It kind of reminded me of oh, that. Yeah, when they're tracking, like, the, the leaves of Lorien don't yeah. idly fall. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I just found that was, like, a very wild and, like, I guess they were they were lucky plan. <laughs> 
Well, and like I think to the idea of that, like Lee just thinking it's lost, and um, that whole thing not thinking he'd be like important enough to, for that to like send this rescue mission. I think just speaks into like the whole idea of like someone doing that because of who they perceive Lee Nollis to be and Lee Nollis's power and standing and you know things like this. And it's like. He's like, I'm just a guy. I'm just a man. Yeah. Right? I'm not a symbol. I'm not, you know, the going back to, like, what we were talking about before when Ira Stephen Barron injects this uh, Liberty Valiance um, stuff into it of, like, the idea of, like, the contrast between the symbol and being a legend of myth-making and then the reality of, like, Lee Nollis's, his situation, right? Um, and yeah, him being... He... Someone who killed a Cardassian gull in his underwear. Yeah, I mean, I think in that moment when he did it, he knew it was him or the other guy, you know? Yeah. Um, And I still, even though it wasn't like this intentional fight with Gold Zarel. Yeah. I mean, he still did the thing that everyone says he did. It just didn't happen the way everyone said he it happened. So part of it is like... I don't know. You still did the thing, even if it wasn't the same reasonings or reason or method. I'm not really sure what I'm trying to... What conclusion well, I'm no, trying to I, draw I, from I, that. I guess to like, just... To just like yes and you a little bit there. It's like you're you're right in that like ultimately he did kill you know, he did it was their fight and you know or almost fight and it was, you know one or the other. Um but like what's almost become more or what has become more important over the years is the idea of Lee Nollis as a symbol. So it's not the fact that happened, it it's the story and like the myth making around it and the fact that the fact of the matter has become unimportant to what that the narrative surrounding the event, the false narrative surrounding the event has then become to, to represent, right? Cause it can be used as a tool or a symbol for whatever like political aims whether it's of the circle or of you know whatever the other parties are within Bajoran politics that we don't have have the names for like he's a symbol of Bajoran nationalism and of probably when things started to turn around um for the resistance because he's been in the Cardassian labor camp like what 10 years now um and the Cardassians finally left like a year or two ago um so it's probably one of those first like major kind of victories and it's that's like a heavy load and it just like so much of when you consider of like myth making of you know especially around war and conflict so much of it is like not what we like remember it to be and it's it's counter and continues to get like misused it's it's kind of almost like the um the pat tillman thing Right, Pat Tillman being the NFL player who, you know, in the the post nine eleven wake signs up to to go for war, and then as he's over there becomes, um, more and more kind of 
dis- disillusioned with the conflict and the reasons and called the escalate called the Iraq war quote fucking illegal and ends up dying in a friendly fire incident that <laughs> we most- say friendly majorly in quotes in this um, instance. Uh, yeah, like, um, was most likely executed by his so-called comrades or some of his so-called comrades yeah. because of his objections to the conflict of which he had signed up for. And then they, and then they tried to cover it up. And still, as recently as yesterday, you have far-right Republican-aligned, um, nationalist using his story and like you know the 20-year memorials of of 9-11 as this this great case of like nationalism and things like that and it's like it just makes me fucking sick yeah i saw that on twitter yesterday as well um so but. it's it's really gross it was weird actually to re-watch this episode because I mean, not normally we try not to date the podcast since we yeah. don't always do it week to week. But yesterday was um, September 11th, and it was just weird um, when Lee Nollis, you know, eventually Minister Jaro comes to Deep Space Nine because to see um, Lee Nollis and as. Minister Jaro even says in the episode, you know, politicians can't help themselves. They need these events to, they need, they always will take advantage of speaking to the public. And he says, I don't remember if he just says this to, or maybe he said it to the crowd, but he said, Minister Jaro said, we will never forget this moment. And it just felt very topical because... Never forget is one of the slogans that people say in regards to September 11th. And it's just, it was just kind of interesting to have that said on this the same day, you know, when I don't really have anything to say about this, but it just was like, it just felt like, not a coincidence, but just felt like r- relative. I don't know, like related somehow. Yeah. Oh, for um, sure. I did before we got to you know the end where I I I mean I said earlier that I didn't really trust Minister um, Jaro throughout the episode, and he says that line to Kira worth like officially I'm mad at you and you need to obey orders and if you do something like this again you're going to lose your rank and you're not going to be in the military anymore but privately he was like go Kira so it's kind of it reminded me of what you were saying earlier not that it's the same thing because they she rescued someone from a labor camp, but it is like right. the politician saying one thing publicly and another thing privately, you know, even though this was kind of the opposite side of that coin. So, yeah, it's the same thing happens where people want to support something, but can't because the optics would be bad, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. We kind of uh, jumped over just because I brought up the, the Lee Nollis kind of stuff and the yeah. stuff earlier. But 
when I just want to backtrack a bit and when O'Brien oh, yes, and Kira get to Cardassia oh, for yes. how they kind of get at stage the, the prison break is O'Brien pretends to be Kira's pimp and Kira pretends to be a sex worker being delivered to the, the camp attendant and the guard wants to, you know, hire Kira as a sex worker as as well. Um, and that's how they kind of sneak and get the force field down and stage the prison break. How did you feel about that? Those choices um, in that sequence? I felt that I felt okay with it. I didn't feel like being a sex worker was a punchline in this in that plot, so I felt yeah. like it was okay. Um, you know what? Use what you think is going to get them. And these dudes are running a labor camp and maybe they're very lonely. Um and there's nothing, you know. The but I also, and this is not related to, like, the plot, but I really, really loved her brown high-waist pants. Mm-hmm. They were More so cute. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, well, we can discuss that later. But, yeah, it And the off-the-hill belt, and, yeah. Yeah. But, like, that, yeah, that scene didn't bother me. I found it funny. Like, I really liked Nana's acting. Um, She was very... Oh, you wouldn't know what to do with me. And, like, the way she played it, she was very playful, but also, like, in control. And I just, she did such a good job. I I, I couldn't tell if they had, like, planned that that's what they were going to do or if Miles just said that. Like, hey, <laughs> like, I'm sure that they discussed it, but we don't see it. So it yeah. was just kind of funny. How did yeah. you feel about it? Yeah, I mean, I think, like, fairly similar and like it doesn't like i mean obviously they're at risk because they're walking up to a Cardassian prison camp and yeah <laughs> with the intents of doing like a prison break right but like it's that kind of very tropey like you know dopey guard feminine wild oh totally like, yeah like situation like i don't think like beyond the danger that generally existed in sneaking into a prison camp to break people out um i don't think it put kira in any kind of extra danger um in like the context of of that you know plan or or like right like she didn't even get that close to him like no no and it it wasn't like like i mean they're obviously like in danger in the context of the scene because they're during the prison break like i said um but like i don't think there was any additional danger in the context of the scene just based on um, her her gender or her sex, right? So. Right. I don't even remember the guard like touching her at all. To be honest. No, he like she comes. He lets her in the force field. Right. Um, he wants to quote unquote see what he's paying for, so she like yeah. unbuttons her her sweater like right. a little bit, and then that's when she like does the, yeah. the Kirk Fu two handed fist chop, <laughs> and the prison break starts. Tonight there's gonna be a jailbreak. Yeah, somewhere. I don't in think this I don't town. think you even really see much of her clavicle because it's no. it's syndicated Star Trek. Um. <laughs> right. Um. Yeah. So that scene did not bother me at all. Um. And the acting in it was amusing. So, and the pants. So, 
yeah, so it was fine. All right, and then we'll we'll jump ahead, and uh, the setup for next episode is that Lee Nellis has now been appointed the Bajoran liaison officer to Deep Space Nine, and Kira has been reassigned. I actually have something to say before we. Oh, sorry. Get yeah, to that. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, what there was a really interesting conversation between Lee Nollis and Cisco after Cisco finds that Lee Nollis was trying to stow away on that ship and leave and just not she Lee, Lee Nollis is very interested in going back to be being a nobody. I feel like he doesn't want all this praise, and so that's kind of when we get the story about the underwear and everything. But I really found it interesting how Cisco was trying to convince Lee Nollis that Bajor needs him, even if it's only as a symbol or a legend, because that is kind of also what Cisco is to Bajor as the emissary. He's I, no one on Bajor is really asking Cisco to do like specific tasks, but he's still important to their religion. And I'll admit we don't fully know what that means at this point, and. It's something that gets discussed throughout the whole series, but I just found that to be foreshadowing for the whole series. Like that, what he was saying to Lee Nollis was kind of how I look at Cisco it throughout Deep Space Nine. I can see that, and that's an interesting point. And like, even we don't yet. I don't. I don't recall if in the future episodes it gets into how the ethno national mm-hmm. hyper nationalist Bajorans feel about. Cisco as the emissary being a non-Bajoran and all of that because typically um, right. your ethno-nationalism is like a, often a religious nationalism too and there's like the ally you know because like, that's a identifier of, of culture or nation or tribe or whatever is, right. is religion right so well at least yeah, up until we'll have to now, watch if that's explored yeah. more at least up until now I'll say like Kyle Paco found him important regardless of whether everyone on Bajor agreed with that. So, but it still felt like relevant to me. Yeah, and, and I guess then in terms of like the politic the religious political situation in Bajor in the hands of the prophets which ended season 1, we had that whole machinations plan for Vedic Wind to get Vedic Barile who's considered mm-hmm. to be Opaka's successor as, as Kai to the station again on the open for that assassination attempt. Right. Um, and the whole creationism in schools thing was, was a ploy to get Barile there out in the open. So Wynne could take a shot at him or have her people take a shot at him. So it'll be interesting to see as we get further insight into what's happening with Bajoran politics as we open season two as the... um state of the church uh, the Bajoran faith and the, <laughs> the politics between the, the provisional government and the Vedic assembly um, come into play. Cause I would suspect that it will. What was, they gave Lee Nollis a title and I'm, I didn't write the name of it down, but they said we never had one. And it made me wonder if it was like this ancient title that is in Bajor religious text that they just haven't utilized that <laughs> recently i just found that to be interesting kind of like wow. um like kind of rem- this is like not the same thing but it reminded me of like when trump became president and there was all of these like uh 
slots in the government that like didn't get filled by people working them and how I don't know I feel like my brain started that thought but it doesn't really make sense but anyway like do they just have this like list of these potential Bajoran titles that they like haven't been giving out like what where did this name come from yeah so it's it's an uh navark or, or n-a-v-a-r-c something so like Navarch. that yeah yeah Navarch. i can't remember how they pronounce it it was a religious title this is from memory alpha was a religious oh. title outside the command structure of the bajoran militia uh navark was expected to report directly to the prophets oh interesting the rank was specifically created for Lee and had no, as no other title was considered worthy of his name. So again, it's okay. tying into the the symbolism of Lee not as a man, but of like his reputation and his his legend and his usefulness as a political tool. Makes sense. I am looking forward to seeing where this goes next. I legitimately do not remember, as I said a couple times already. I like to repeat myself. Um, you said you do kind of remember. I'm not asking you to talk about it, but just curious. Yep, 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 I do. Cool. Was there anything else you wanted to say about the plot or the characters before we moved on to the Altair Water Thirst Quencher segment? No, I, I just think again to to repeat myself as you know that I think your conclusion is supposed to be a mirror of your your introductory mm-hmm. paragraph. Um, I think they really kind of and we'll see where it, you know kind of goes and continues to develop over the the next two episodes. But this episode did feel very Deep Space Nine to me, whereas like it couldn't have happened on Next Gen or Voyager or any other star trek show especially up to up to this point like in you know 90s in this era of of star trek so i like when ds9 does that when it's it's own thing i enjoy when it's like very much of a piece with like you know star trek and it could be just a kind of classic average star trek episode but this felt very ds9 and i enjoyed that yeah i i and i also feel like having it be like a few episodes will feel very deep space nine because there are a couple instances like that. And then obviously we have the end of the series where it's like that 10 episode arc. Yeah. But, um, I just do like when it's a a story in deep space nine is like for more than one episode. I just, before it does, it does eventually get a little bit more serialized in the overarching plot, but it's really fun to see something that goes, is bigger than just one episode. Yeah. And what's, what's kind of interesting is it being not just like a two parter, but like a three part story. Um, this was the first time Star Trek had done that and then it wouldn't do it again until like, I want to say like 10 or 15 years later, there's a season, there's a season four, three parter, um of enterprise that like does that again too and like obviously like you say the finale of deep space nine is longer but the idea of like a contained three-part kind of trilogy yeah yeah um but yeah good stuff i still haven't started enterprise i am in season five of voyager and that that will be next after that get to watch some horny trek once voyager's over (laughs) (laughs) uh 
Get the get out your decontamination gel. <laughs> I really love that um that deep space leftist uh, Instagram account with the I wonder what the body oil budget was for this show. Yeah, no shit, right? <laughs> that was so funny. <laughs> Um, everyone should follow deep underscore space underscore leftists on Instagram. Their account rules. Um, yeah. So who are you thirsting after this week? Well, uh, I really like, we alluded to it a little bit before. Um, Kira's like civilian outfit with the high-waisted pants and like diagonal belt on her hips and even like the kind of crochet crop top um, yeah. over the, like, Henley or whatever it was. It, I like the it, pleating and the sh- on the and pants, And her new too. hair. It just, it worked. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. The pleating on her pants were fun, too. Yeah. Um, I love, I kind of enjoy, like, you know, they give a nice, they give the look of hashtag thighs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I, I really think they like, like that too. And like the the high waisted pants are kind of this like nice kind of rust color. And yeah. just very the whole outfit's very earth tony and like especially like with the the crochet like crop top over the Henley, it just it's kind of like proto anthropology vibes which like <laughs> I mean into it. <laughs> I also feel like, I feel like the way that the, the dress, the, the way the pants are, if it was like a dress, it would almost be like a mermaid cut with how it like Mm. poofs out like lower than the waist. Yeah. Maybe a little high for that, but that's from watching like three episodes of, um, say yes to the dress. I know what a mermaid cut is. Um, yeah. I might have actually watched an entire season of that show, if I'm being honest. Um, I agree with yours, but I'm also really thirsting after the purple-haired lady who gives Quark the Bajoran earring at the beginning. But I really was into Quark flirting back with her. And, well, he gives her this look, but also, I could not believe this. Quark sticks his pinky finger into her drink and then licks his finger while looking at her. I was like, damn. That was kind of ballsy because you sold her that drink and then you stuck your finger in it. But let me tell you, folks, it worked for me. Yeah. Her hair was wonderful. The character's not given a name in this episode, but I believe that, that she does. Yeah, I believe she does come back um, in a couple other like similar appearances in later seasons. Um, and I think she gets a name later. Oh, good. But I don't. I don't have it in front. For of right me. now, she's purple-haired lady. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, what did you find to be the most Star Trek thing of the episode? What did I find to be the most Star Trek thing about this episode? Hmm. Shooting an outdoor scene in a canyon in, in the greater Los Angeles area? <laughs> <laughs> That's totally fair. Yeah. What about you, Elise? 
Well, I had just recently watched um, my favorite Star Trek movie, The Undiscovered Country, um, this week. And so for me, it was our friends having to, like, fool the enemies to get through to their destination. Like, in Undiscovered Country, um, when they're trying to... They're trying to rescue um, Kirk and Bones from um, Rorapente. They, like, have to... Which is, like, deep in the Klingon airspace, you know, space or whatever. So they have to, like, somehow get through to Klingon space. But they have... I always found this to be weird because they're clearly, like, in the Enterprise. So it's, like... Are the Klingons not looking at them? Like, I don't get it. Yeah, it's just voice. It's just voice. Yeah. And, like, similar here with they're in a runabout. But anyway, so, like, they're having to, like, convince the Cardassians that they are where they're supposed to be. So that felt very Star Trek to me. Having to, like, come up with what to say to, like, be let through. Yeah. Sneaky, sneaky. And they didn't even need a bunch of old books to translate Klingon for a visual bit that makes little sense in the context of we are a condemning in the 23rd century. We are condemning supplies. Um, oh, I think my favorite like, part of come that... Come on, Nicholas Meyer. I know you like the Age of Sail, but come on. I mean, I, I don't, don't hate on my Nicholas Meyer. Um, I mean, I'm not. It's just like, I'm, it's a I'm funny joking. bit. It doesn't bug me, but it's just like, <laughs> like, it's funny enough that like Star Trek uh, will later on, especially in Deep Space Nine, where it's like the the modern or the, the later TV version of like that whole bit with the books is multiple pads, right? Multiple of their like digital books, like our mm-hmm. readers or whatever. Yeah. Whereas like in reality, 30 years later, it's like, no, no, you can have all your documents on one tablet. Like, yeah, you don't need multiple yeah. tablets for multiple books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I got you. Uh, I just laugh at the part where, like, the Klingon. Sorry, I'm back to the movie where the Klingons are like making a joke, and the Enterprise he will have absolutely oh, no oh, idea oh, what to oh. say. And then the one w- woman, I forget her name, is like just like telling everyone, just laugh. It doesn't matter. Just laugh along, and we'll get out of this. Um, but yeah, it's great. Sorry, I think we're condemning supplies and things might have been the line. Um, but yeah. Ah. Anything else to add before we finish up? No, I, I think we're good. I'm here we are, season two, ready to have third of the way done, the, the circle trilogy, and yeah. Happy to happy to be back. It's been a minute since we, we recorded, so Yes. I'm happy to be back also. And in the meantime, Elise, where can folks find more of you on the internet? Yes, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Elise underscore Tendi, E-L-Y-S-E underscore T-E-N-D-I. And you can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at Podwraiths, P-O-D-W-R-A-I-T-H-S. You can also email us at Podwraiths at gmail.com. And you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd as well at at Mattyhugh, M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. You can also catch me talking about Mad Men on my Mad Men podcast, Still Great Bob. Going through a little bit of a, a summer hiatus there where we're still working our way through season four and look to be coming back hopefully very, very soon. And uh, yeah, as always, please remember to, to rate and review us on the podcasting system of your choice. And thank you to DJ Empirical for our theme song. 
All right. Well, until next time, computer and program. Bye.